Hello, I'm Bill DeMay, Executive Vice Chair for the DC Young Republicans, and this is the District Download. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the District Download. I am your host, Bill DeMay, joined with my co-host here, Michelle Gross. How are you doing today, Michelle? I'm doing great. How are how? Yeah, looking forward to another good episode. Yeah, and especially too on this rainy day. I think uh, you know I follow uh, the Capital Weather Gang folks on Twitter, and they said that this was much needed rain. Again, welcome everybody. This is episode number eighteen. Keep sharing this podcast with your friends. Again, we've got an avid fan of the podcast on the episode tonight, so we're looking forward to pick his brain a little bit, see what's going on in the great state of New York. But before I do that, I just want to say with every episode we do that the views and opinions expressed during today's episode are our own and in no way represent the views, opinions, or policy positions of our respective employers. This is meant to be a free exchange of topics relevant to YRs based both here in D.C. and in tonight's instance beyond. So without further ado, I would like to welcome Peter Junta to the program. Peter, how are you, my friend? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Did you get a little bit of the rain today? Uh, No. No, we did not today. The weather up here has been crazy. We get 90 degree days and then it dips down to uh, 60s, low 70s. We had that today, uh, a, a low 70 day. So it was uh, a little cooler, but yeah, it's typical New York weather, I guess. Yeah, typical <laughs> New York weather, probably without the humidity. So just to start things off, Peter, tell us a little bit about yourself. So did you grow up in, in Staten Island? Uh, is that where you went to school? And just with everybody's favorite question here down in D.C., where do you work? Yeah, so uh, I am chief of staff to Assemblymember Mike Riley. Uh, he's a New York State Assembly member. Uh, just, I guess, a, a little uh, New York Legislature 101. So New York has two houses, uh, a state assembly and a state senate. Uh, the lower house is the assembly. Uh, so I've been with Assemblymember Riley for uh, three years now as his chief of staff. Before that, I worked with uh, a city council member who prior to that was in the state assembly. Uh, so I've been in, in, in government for about uh, coming up on 10 years now uh, since I was 18. Uh, so it's, it's been quite in a journey, quite an experience, to be honest with you. Uh, a little bit about my background. Uh, so I wasn't born on Staten Island. Uh, I was born in Manhattan, actually, but uh, I've lived on Staten Island my entire life. Uh, and uh, one of the, the strange things about living here uh, is that it it's, tends to become a bubble. Uh, and so... I had the opportunity when I was uh, in my early 20s to work on a uh, gubernatorial campaign that took me all over New York State. And uh, it was actually an amazing experience that taught me about the different uh, cultures of New York, I call it. Uh, so, you know, Western New Yorkers are, are way different than people out on Long Island. Uh, New York City is a, is a, a class in and of itself, but uh, the odd thing about Staten Island is that Staten Island has more in common with uh, some parts of upstate New York than uh, they do with, uh, you know, Brooklyn or, or Manhattan, the other four boroughs. Uh, and the best part of it all is we are the most Republican borough, uh, even though Democrats outnumber us three to one here, 
we have the most Republican elected officials. Uh, and so the district that my boss represents is actually the southernmost district in New York. And it is the Republican, uh, the most Republican district in uh, New York City. I have a claim to fame. Wow. Good on you guys. And congratulations to you being a decade in public service. It's really great. Oh, isn't it? Thank you. Yeah, that's fantastic. So I'm, I'm curious, do you have, I personally love Manhattan, but I've never actually been to Staten Island. So do you have a favorite part of Staten Island that you, you know, that maybe brings up positive memories or that you'd like to go to escape? Yeah. So, you know, again, Staten Island is, is, definitely way different than, and I'll use Manhattan as the example. Uh, we have kind of the best of both worlds, you know, it's quick access to the city. We have uh, an amazing uh, uh, restaurant, uh, you know, restaurant culture out here on Staten Island, a lot of fantastic Italian food. Uh, we're actually getting a lot of uh, really good uh, South American restaurants now that are that are opening here. Um, and so it's, it's definitely a developing community, but the beautiful part of it all is that it's still, uh, the suburbs and, uh, you know, as far as, as a favorite part of the Island, I mean, I've lived on the South shore of Staten Island for my entire life. Uh, it's, it's honestly a, a great community. Uh, again, Staten Island, it, it tends to get to be a bubble and everybody knows, uh, everybody at the end of the day, uh, we have about 500,000 people that live here in the borough. And so, uh, you know, if you didn't go to high school with somebody, chances are you went to, uh, you know, you went to high school with somebody who knew this other person. And uh, for some reason, everybody has roots that go back to Brooklyn. So my parents are, are uh, my mom's from Brooklyn, my father's from Queens. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, one of those things where parents, my parents end up knowing other people's parents and, um, that's how Staten Island is. I, I, I would say we have more parkland than any of the other boroughs too. So if, you know, people think Central Park when they think New York City, uh, we actually have uh, some of the most, uh, you know, quiet and, and, and peaceful parkland here on Staten Island. Uh, one of which was actually formerly our landfill uh, and was converted uh, about two decades ago, uh, started to be converted about two decades ago into uh, the largest park uh, in, in New York City, actually. So it surpassed Central Park, which was the mm -hmm. largest park before that. Um, you know, and you could do kayaking out here, bike riding, uh, hiking, there's a whole bunch of stuff. And you wouldn't really think that you could do this in New York City. So it's it's mm -hmm. really a nice community. Have you ever thought about being a tour guide? That was a pretty good sales <laughs> pitch for Staten Island as somebody who's who's never really spent a whole lot of time in New York City. Listen, I get a lot of uh, a lot of crap from people that aren't here. Uh, you know, they they. So it's it's weird. Um, if you are uh, an elected official, a Republican that represents upstate New York, you spend probably seventy five percent of your time uh, bashing New York City politicians, mm -hmm. and I I always give our colleagues crap for it because they forget that out of uh, all of the Democrats that are from New York City. Uh, Staten Island has uh, two Republicans out of four uh, that represent the area in the state assembly, and we have one state senator out of the two that represent Staten Island in the state senate. Uh, we have we're the only borough with Republican council members in in the New York City Council. Uh, we have more Republican judges elected to office here, so I, I try to get people to remember: Hey, this is actually uh, you know a pretty uh, 
a pretty conservative community. We have a decent quality of life here because of the people that represent us. Uh, you know, so talking about all the good things we have, uh, and I do enjoy throwing out there that we have the best Italian food in, in, in New York mm -hmm. state, uh, you know, better than, than Manhattan sometimes. It's a pretty bold That's statement. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I believe it though. I'll have to come up and eat some Italian. It is my favorite food group. So we'll get you guys out here soon. Don't worry. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> So going back to a little bit of what we were talking about, again, your, your, your decades worth of experience in public service, just out of curiosity, um, when did you first get what I like to call the political bug? So kind of that moment where you like politics, this is kind of my thing. I'm kind of interested in it. And it just snowballs into something that becomes a passion. So did you always have it? Did you get a passion or zeal for it like earlier on in life? Or did you get it later on, say like high school or college? So I love this question uh, because it's, it's, the question I get a lot from uh, young Republicans that are just starting out, uh, you know, whether they're 18 or, or, or 26. Uh, and so it's, it's kind of strange. I actually uh, wanted to go to school for um, culinary back in middle school. And then I don't know what came into my head, but I was bored one day. I was like, let me look for something to do. I think it was over the summer. Let me look for something to do uh, in my free time. And I'll, you know, I was recently telling somebody this story and I, I think I might've watched an episode of Parks and Rec, if anybody remembers that show. <laughs> and that was kind of like, the uh, best. yeah, that was kind of like the, hey, um, this might be something cool to get involved in, you know, working for an elected official. So um, in high school, I did, uh, two internships, one with a city council member, and then one with a state senator. The one with the state senator ended up turning into a part-time job. Um, it was basically just a paid intern, uh, you know, I answered the phone and, and did data entry, all, all basic stuff. Um, and then when I turned uh, 18, I, so the, the chief of staff from the council member that I had interned with ran for uh, state assembly. And I had helped out on his race a couple of times. You know, they gave me a little volunteer coordinator title. I basically it just meant that I sat at the headquarters and greeted people. And, you know, I would go out and put out signs. And uh, so when the campaign ended, I, um, I was fortunate enough to have been offered a part-time job in his district office. And, you know, I, I think back, I am a entirely different person now than I was, uh, you know, nearly 10 years ago. I, I developed so much, uh, not even professionally, but just as, as a, as a person. And, you know, I think back to myself then, and it was, it was interesting how, how little I knew, and I guess how innocent I was at the time to what, uh, you know, working in government or, or what politics was about. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of wandered into this and it took me, I think about two and a half years uh, working for uh, working for that city council uh, for the state assembly member, excuse me, uh, before I really said like, hey, this is something I want to do for, uh, you know, for a while, I want to make a career out of this. Uh, so yeah, I didn't, like I said, I, I, I didn't become a chief of staff until about uh, three years ago. Before that, I was I was a budget director. So I've, I've done some uh, budget work for for New York City. Um, in the city council. Um, before that, I was just, you know, a caseworker, but over 10 years, I, I got more and more involved. And, in, in, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, I got involved with the young Republicans. And, and another thing I never 
realized that I would want to run for a position in the Young Republicans, and I did, and I'm so happy I did. Um, I've served in every board position except for secretary. Um, you know, now I'm I'm president of the Staten Island Young Republican Club, which, uh, you know, again we we pride ourselves on the fact that we're from one of the most Republican uh, counties in the state, the most Republican borough in the city. Um, but it's it's been a, an, an exciting experience. I try to pass it down to uh, the, I try to give the advice of, hey, be patient and it'll all pay off to a lot of our, our newer members, uh, especially mm -hmm. the young ones, because sometimes they're quick to bail if they see things aren't moving fast enough for them. But, you know, 10 years feels like an eternity. I look back now and it flew by, uh, but back then, I, I guess looking at it, it, it took a lot of work to get to this point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's great advice. Um, and kind of speaking of that political bug, if you could create change in any one issue, what would it be? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, so I, I'm not going to give you guys, you know, a boilerplate, oh, I'm a Republican or, you know, or a conservative. And I'm going to give you this, this, this one issue. I mean, in my own community here on Staten Island, I, I think it would just be uh, focusing on ways to, to, to make the community better. Um, you know, when, when I was budget director for uh, the city council member I worked for, I remember uh, the one of the last budgets I worked on, I was able to secure some money for uh, the playground that I actually grew up going to all the time uh, at the school by my house. And that was just such a nice thing, being able to uh, invest having a role in investing money back into the community at a place that I feel like I, you know, was such a, a major part of my life growing up, you know, it's something as simple as a playground. So I would just say, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a vague answer, but uh, ways that I can improve my, my local community around me. Mm -hmm. I think that's great too, because so many people, especially young people think of, you know, the federal government and what we can do at the, federal level, but it's really all done within communities. So I love to hear you say that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really up to local government too, to make sure that things like the trash is getting picked up and everything is habitable. Mm -hmm. As Michelle said that the federal government is only able to do so much. So what you you're doing, what you've been doing really has the most direct impact on people's life and democracy. It's an absolutely beautiful thing, isn't it? Right. I look, I, I think people, Michelle, you made a great point. People get too caught up in, in what's going on nationally and sometimes even uh, across the state and they forget some of the stuff that's going on in their own community. I mean, uh, you know, again, Staten Island is just such a unique place. We have we have parks that are regularly being improved on uh, our public schools. They, they get money, too, from the council members and, you know, something as as simple as a library model or new computers in their computer lab can make all the difference. Uh, at the end of the day, because you're you're impacting these these young kids' lives um, in a positive way, you know. Um, but honestly, there, there's that old saying: "All politics is local." I, I really believe it. Uh, you know, constituent services is probably one of the most basic forms of uh, community contact that any politician is going to have. And if you can't do that right, then you may may as well not run for office. Uh, you may as well not work in government because that's literally the the basic definition of of what government should be doing for you for us. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Yeah, preach. <laughs>
Um, so you've alluded to this a little bit, I think, um, when we were talking a little bit about just what you, you got you involved in the first place. But do you have like a role model, somebody to look up to or, or do you have like a, a current mentor or somebody who, who really has been your inspiration over the past decade um, in, in getting to know the ins and outs of public service? Yeah, so um, it's, it's an interesting question. I, um, I would probably say the first individual that I worked for, um, so his name's Joe Borelli. He's currently a New York City Council member. Uh, but when he started in the State Assembly, he's, he's the individual that uh, really uh, gave me the opportunity to, to prove myself. And, you know, again, I look back, I say, oh, I answered the phone. I did data entry. I did basic, the most basic things. You know, I wasn't working on legislation. I wasn't doing any budget work. Uh, so, I mean, I, th- I think back and, and just having having the, the chance to prove myself, um, having the, the chance to uh, show that I'm capable of taking on additional responsibility. And, and you know, I worked for with Joe for uh, close to six years, uh, almost seven years rather. And I think that did a lot to shape me, but there's there's dozens of people who, who I've met over the years that, you know, I've taken pages from their playbook. Um, you know, and the best part of it all, I think, really for me as, as a young Republican is that these individuals were young Republicans themselves. Uh, you know, Brendan Lantry, who uh, is running for judge now here in Richmond County. And uh, he was uh, 2005, our, our, uh, our county's young Republican chair. He later went on to be the, the county's GOP chair. Uh, Anthony Reinhardt, who is our current chairman here and his service in the state organization. Uh, you know, he's another one that, that, has worked in government. He works for uh, one of our state senators. He's helped me along the way. David Michael Carr, who a lot of the DCYR uh, alum are, are probably familiar familiar with. Uh, you know, he's he was the first chief of staff that I ever worked with in a in a paid job. And uh, you know, some of the some of the David is has a lot of anecdotes, and they've stuck with me all these years. Uh, you know, almost ten years later, I, I still have them playing in my head. Uh, so there's plenty of people. I mean, there's there's an entire list, and we just take too long to to go through them. Absolutely, and especially too, like the best ways we we transmit knowledge and everything like that from generation to generation is through storytelling. It's the most basic instinct, basic form of knowledge that we share so again anecdotes like you'd mentioned before you know it's it's funny how it sticks with you so i want to stay on this kind of deep vein i know we try to spice it up a little bit we're going to get to that but i just kind of want to stay on this vein a little bit more um you know and ask you a question that some of the folks in the audience may be thinking of when they're listening to this um but what advice can you offer somebody who is looking to get in the politics you had already mentioned um you know patience is key but, you know, for somebody who is, you know, just getting to job market, who is just coming out of this pandemic um, to a job market that probably hasn't looked this dismal since the, uh, the 2009 economic crash, um, what advice can you give to them, especially if they're looking to apply uh, their political science degree or something like that, or whatever degree they have to a place that may not be like DC, where you have lobbying, advocacy, and political jobs right at your fingertips, but rather you stay home and in like say places like Staten Island. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess I'll start this with you. You don't, you don't necessarily, at least in my 
what I've seen over the years, you don't necessarily need a, a political science degree or a public administration degree to end up working in government. Um, as a matter of fact, most of the people I know uh, that, that end up serving in uh, senior roles for elected officials or government agencies, uh, you know, have went to school for finance and they've left, they made the, the strange decision to walk away from their careers in finance to go work in government, um, which pays way less than, than the, the nice job they could have had working for, for some firm. Um, but I, I would say, you know, as far as school goes, you could, you could go to school to, to run a business and, and end up running for office or, uh, you know, working for, for an elected official. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, the best piece of advice I, I really would say is, is, is patience. Like I said, I see a lot of my members here, they tend to get, um, they tend to get very impatient. Uh, and I know that, that, again, and this might be something with young people, but uh, if you're if you're not willing to put in the work uh, and and wait for your turn, and I, I usually hate to use that expression, but but wait for your turn to some degree, you're you're not going to be able to um, you know reach your full potential. Uh, the only other bit of advice I would throw in there is uh, networking is probably one of the most important things you could be doing. You don't need to do it in person; as, as it's a hundred times better in person. Uh, but if you are somebody that belongs to, uh, you know, whether it's the DCYRs or some other young Republican organization or professional networking organization, or even if you've heard of them, um, don't be that person that just shows up once and then never goes back or only shows up, you know, once a year, uh, you know, there'll be a regular fixture, but just once a year, try to try to really go regularly. It'll help you make friends, uh, but more importantly, it'll help you network with uh, you know, other individuals who are working in a field that I would imagine you want to get yourself into. That's great. I mean, so many of, I know myself, whenever I first moved up to DC, I went to the DCYRs first to start making friends, you know, like, so it's, it's a great beyond just for the fact of, you know, getting to know people for future jobs. Like it is just getting to know people of like mind and, creating a community. So yeah, I think that's, that's great advice. Um, okay. So kind of switching gears a little bit here, you know, we're finally out of quarantine. A lot of people are getting vaccinated. Um, but is there one thing or anything that you can look back on the last year and say that it was a really big positive, maybe was it something you accomplished that you hadn't been able to accomplish before? That's another good question. Uh, so 2020 was a strange year, I think, for, for most people. Uh, it was interesting working in, in government uh, in a state like New York where, where you know, bureaucracy is, is definitely something that occurs usually. Uh, so, I mean, I think for me, I'm trying to put this in a, in a professional context. I, I think a lot of what we were able to achieve uh, this year in our in our own district uh, in terms of helping, helping people, uh, I'm sorry, last year, helping people access uh, benefits and just get basic information during a time when there was so much confusion, uh, you know, either because of other elected officials or, or because of the media, um, but helping them get connected with, with information that was, uh, you know, honest and, and connected them with their benefits. I think that for me was, was a, was a good thing. And the fact that we were able to do not just me, but our entire office, um, you know, we have, we have staffers that work here in our district office 
and the fact that we were all able to uh, achieve this and not really uh, not really be in a position where we, where, we, where we had to stop helping our constituents. And I know elected officials whose offices just closed and they didn't do squat for them mm-hmm. for six months, you know, and, and uh, I don't know that for me, I, I guess looking at it in, in a professional lens, I, I would say that's a big thing for me. Is there kind of building on that, you know, to at the community level to kind of fight the disinformation that's out there, you know, at a more national level, do you have any um, good advice for those of us that are, you know, in DCYRs or in YR clubs? Like, how do we fight disinformation at a larger level? Do you have any advice? Social media. That is the, (laughs) um, no, I think, you know, so, I, I'm, it's weird. So I work for an elected official who, um, who before he was elected was known as, as, you know, the Facebook news guy. And and he would always share traffic updates and he's a former, uh, he's a retired police officer. So he would mm-hmm. post if there's helicopter flying in the sky, you know, he would post why it's there. Cause he'd find out cause he would get flooded with a hundred questions from people in the community about it. Um, I think social media has has definitely um, fueled the fire in terms of, of misinformation because you don't just have the um, you just don't have honest people giving out information. You also have very dishonest people, and I, you know, I think older people have also made it even more complex because they're sharing stuff that sometimes is absolutely false. Um, you know, I'll see like. Uh, you know, patriotwatch.net and it'll have some, some really obscure claim. And it, it sounds convincing, um, you know, because obviously the word patriots in there, but at the end of the day, uh, the information that's in there is, is likely false, uh, you know, and, and it, you know, it just isn't political news. I mean, there's also government news. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm from a, a very, um, our state has a very controversial governor. And so sometimes we'll get, uh, we'll get fake stories that pop out there and people, people take it as as bible they will screenshot only the the title of the article and then they'll share that not even linking to the article um so social media has definitely made it harder i i don't i don't think there's a simple solution to it uh you know aside from the fact of people being a little bit more uh taking it upon themselves to be a little bit more cautious about how much they they read into things and you mentioned mm-hmm. your your current state's governor, and that's a perfect segue to kind of our current events section to kind of know what's going on the ground uh, down in uh, up in New York, I should say. Um, so there's a few topics that are New York State related that I wanted to kind of you know get your sense on what's going on. I know just this past weekend, um, the whole state federation was up in Niagara Falls for your spring meeting. Can you tell us a little bit about what went down there? Any cool developments that came out of that? Yeah, so uh, it was it was very interesting uh, because this was the first time that we've met uh, all together uh, since last March before COVID really set in. Um, so our la- our meeting last year was at Cooperstown in the Baseball Hall of Fame. This year we figured why not do Niagara Falls. Uh, the only downside to it, and I, I was literally just having a conversation with somebody uh, about this about an hour ago, uh, was the Canadian border was closed. So we were. Ooh able to see it but we couldn't go across the border uh so i got to i got to take in with with my girlfriend and and some of my friends uh you know downtown niagara falls but as far as going over the border was a big no-no you could see it you just couldn't go there so uh as far as as some some news from that so we set the date of our uh of our 
biennial convention, which is going to be in August in Orange County, uh, which for those of you who aren't familiar with the geography of New York, Niagara Falls is up on the Canadian border. Uh, Orange County is in the Hudson Valley, which is pretty much the, the lower half of the state, um, you know, in the, in the half region of the state, the lower part of it. Um, so that, that to me is probably the biggest development because it really sets the, um, sets the stage for the future of, uh, of our organization, what it means to be a young Republican in New York. And I think more importantly, what it means to be a Republican in New York, uh, you know, especially after, uh, last year's election, uh, New York is, is always going to be an odd case where, you know, Republicans are, um, going to be hard to come by in, in, in certain cases, but I think for, for the most part, uh, you know, this is our time to figure out what our party is going to be about, uh, New York being a blue state, we're going to have a, a, a much different, uh, platform and a much different agenda uh, as a Republican party than say Kentucky. Um, you know, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much the, the short version of, of what we did in Niagara. I'm sure it's going to be a fun time too. You know, there's yes. one thing that the wires know how to do. It's to work hard, but they also play hard too. So Absolutely. I'm sure that, sure convention is going to be a great time for folks, especially with the lockdowns finally coming to an end. So um, that's a great bridge to kind of the next thing I wanted to raise with you. NYSYR next. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's literally in the name. Uh, it's, it's about the next generation of, uh, you know, Republicans here in New York. Uh, I, I am running for uh, state chairman of the Young Republicans. Uh, our current chairman is retiring uh, this summer. Uh, his name is Brian Marr. Most YRs are familiar with him because he's also the chair of the State Chairman's Association through uh, Young Republican National Federation. Uh, so Brian's retiring. He's He's been super helpful in trying to help us figure out um, where we take the organization from here. Uh, you know, he's... He's somebody who I think really, uh, really put his heart into the organization. And, and you know, that's like the one thing for me uh, with with the Staten Island Young Republicans has always been that it's uh, I put my heart into it. I joke that it's a whole other full time job. And, and you know, I can only imagine what the state organization, uh, the amount of responsibility that's there. But more importantly, uh, and Brian, Brian ta taught me this. Uh, it's about being a family. And, and you know, I think that's. That's the one thing that makes us stronger is when we're, uh, you know, all uh, working together, uh, we're all getting along. And uh, so, yeah, uh, NYSYR next is is literally the the next chapter of our of our Republican journey here in, in New York. Well, that's great to hear. Thank you for sharing that a little bit. You're actually the uh, second um, you know, uh, ticket that's come to speak to us on the podcast a few months ago, we had the folks, uh, as part of the wire uh, FV resurgence, uh, they came out of the podcast to talk a little to, to us a little bit about what was going on in Virginia and some of the things like that. So thank you for sharing. Um, so the spicy bit, uh, so <laughs> I want to hear from you kind of just what's been going on in New York and I'll, I'll give you the floor. But, you know, we've all seen from the news, from social media, what's going on in New York. Can you make any sense out of the craziness that's come that's coming out in New York? And I think there's obviously a few important things that are going on in New York that still demand attention that I feel people's attention has already pivoted to something else. So the floor is yours. Tell us what's going on in the world of 
New York politics and uh, some folks of notable nature, such as uh, your governor? Yeah, so everybody knows Andrew Cuomo. Uh, the sad part is that a lot of what's going on uh, isn't new. Uh, while the nursing home stuff and the sexual harassment claims are, are obviously new, uh, you know, I'm sure you guys have heard about the scandal with the um, the Tappan Zee Bridge, which is now the Mario Cuomo Bridge, uh, which he named after his his father. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other uh, ethics issues that have come up over the years, and the sad part of it all is that. Every time there is a scandal involving this guy, he manages to walk away from it unscathed. And, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier in 2018, I had the opportunity to work on uh, Mark Molinaro's gubernatorial race. Uh, Mark was the Republican nominee for governor here in New York. And uh, we called Cuomo out on a lot of the ethical and we had a whistleblower hotline and the amount of stuff that came in, uh, you know, there was a portion of it that was definitely credible for whatever reason, the media tends to be uh, very hands off when it comes to uh, going after uh, Cuomo. And it's interesting now because they, they really, the New York post, New York times of all publications started piling on and, and, you know, Albany times union, they've done, tons of exposés in the past uh, three months, literally the past three months, trying to, to uh, shed some light on what went on with the uh, the nursing home scandal, which I guess to sum it up was uh, a cover-up of uh, a policy that the uh, Cuomo administration and the state health department had uh, enacted, which forced hospitals to send uh nursing home patients back to their nursing homes, forced the nursing homes to take them in there and infected nursing homes throughout the state with COVID uh, back during the height of the pandemic uh, last last March. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, the guy wrote a book uh, touting how successful his, his efforts were at recovering uh, New York from the pandemic, uh, which we only found out a couple of weeks ago, he, he may have used state resources to write the book. Uh, and, you know, now he's got uh, a, an, an investigation by the state assembly, uh, which I will preface all this and say, uh, both houses of our state legislature are controlled by Democrats. They have a supermajority. Uh, we actually just lost the state Senate uh, in 2018 uh, when, when the, the blue wave happened. And uh, unfortunately, uh, even if we had a really good year next year in 2022, we, we likely will still not take back um, the majority in, in either of those houses. Uh, it's just statistically impossible at this point. Uh, but the, uh, the, the lower house of the state legislature has an impeachment investigation ongoing into him. The Democrats that are in charge of that committee are, uh, are getting a whole bunch of crap right now because of how long they're taking uh, and also the dollar amount of the legal bill, I, I believe they had some some cap on it, like $250,000, which now uh, places the future of that committee in, in um, you know, in a, a state of a big question mark. Uh, the attorney general, the state attorney general has several investigations going on into the governor uh, with the nursing home scandal, the use of government resources to write a, a book that the governor profited on from $5.2 million dollars. Uh, and then I, I think the most interesting thing of all this is the uh, 
series of sexual harassment allegations that have come out against the governor. Uh, you know, again, I, I think we you have to take some of these with a, a grain of salt and as as fun as it is to, to pile on the governor about the sexual harassment uh, allegations, I think we have to approach it the way we would is if if it was a Republican. We, we tend to look at these in, in a very partisan light and it, it sucks sometimes because it ruins our credibility. Uh, but the investigation that the state attorney general is doing uh, looks into the sexual harassment allegations as well. All nine of them, I believe there are. Uh, and some of them are pretty are pretty graphic. So uh, I don't know. I'm not hopeful that there's going to be a quick timeline on it. I, I think we'll we'll get answers this summer, but I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it took longer than that. Uh, but the cherry on top of it all is that uh, the federal government is also investigating the um, the nursing home cover up, and uh, they actually just uh, finished about two weeks ago their series of uh, interrogations with senior officials from the administration. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, I, I, like I said, it's, it, there's a bunch of things in the past the governor has walked away from from this type of scandal, but. Uh, this also may be the, the, the one time we get him. I mean, there's just so much this, this one time it's all coming at him at once. Something has to stick. Um, at least that's my take on it. I think you're right. We, I know I personally stand behind you all and, and hope that something, something co- comes out. And that was a really insightful overview with what's everything's going on. Um, and just, you know, just to kind of put a wrap on that, you know, what are some things that YRs here in DC and beyond could be doing right now, just to, just to keep the spotlight on them. Cause I, f- I think that we have a tendency to move on to the next thing, the next shiny, bright thing. Right. And we lose kind of focus on it. It's a lot of the stuff that you highlighted is serious allegations ranging from the nursing home scandal, sexual harassment allegations. And as you said, something's going to stick. What? can we be doing to make sure that the spotlight is still on this and we don't lose track of just the, the stuff that this guy has done during his tenure? Yeah. So, uh, look, I'm not going to lie. I'm a big fan of your, of your competitor podcast, uh, the ruthless podcast. I think they've, they've given a lot of crap to, uh, to Cuomo and, uh, some of the Democrats that are elected here in the state. I think at the end of the day, uh, all cannons need to be firing. And so, uh, you know, this, this segment alone, the fact that we're talking about it, uh, is going to help for sure. Uh, you know, Twitter as, as frustrating as Twitter can be sometimes, uh, and as dangerous as it could be, uh, there are a lot of people, uh, who, who utilize Twitter and, and I'll even say Facebook too, who are talking about, uh, all of the governor's scandals and, and, you know, the good news I think is here in New York, uh, impeaching the governor or, or basically getting him out of office has become something that has unified Republicans uh, of all different shades. And, and, you know, again, New York has so many different regions where, where the, you know, you could be a Republican from upstate New York and have a different set of concerns from somebody from Staten Island, you know, a Republican from Staten Island. And uh, I think that's something that has unified us all. We have a very important election coming up next year uh, with, uh, a race for governor. Uh, and so right now I, I believe it is turning into a three-way primary, uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin from, 
uh, Suffolk County, Long Island, uh, who represents New York one, he's running for, uh, for governor. He's the presumptive nominee just because of how much support he's gained, uh, in the past couple of uh, weeks. Uh, but Rob Astorino who ran previously in 2014, uh, he's the former Westchester County executive. He's running for governor as well. And, uh, so is Andrew Giuliani who previously worked for, uh, President Trump is a special assistant, uh, the son of uh, America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's it's shaping up to be a, a uh, crowded, but in, in a good way, uh, skilled field. And I, I think we'll see what happens next year. Me personally, our best bet is going to be on getting this guy out of office by by voting him out. Uh, the last Republican that, that ran against him in, in 2018 ended up amassing 2.2 million votes, which was the most for a Republican candidate in New York state history. With our state population dwindling, that is probably a good sign that we're, we're making headway, uh, you know, and, and there's a chance this guy could be out of office next year. Sounds like a plan. And I'm sure us as well as a few other chapters will be up there next uh, year helping you guys out, you know, give Cuomo the boot, deny him that fourth turn that he's desperately clawing after so he can match his his father's record. So, um, Michelle, anything else before we go into rapid fire? Um, I, I think one last question to kind of round out your um professional opinion or outlook for this year? Is there one thing that you're most looking forward to this year, most looking forward to getting done? Yeah. Um, so, you know, like I said earlier, I'm running for, for state chair of the New York state young Republicans, uh, winning that election is, is probably my biggest priority and will be my biggest achievement of the year. Uh, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's so important because it really sets the track for, for what our future here is in the state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, being the model, you know, like you said, Staten Island is is primarily red. So bring that model to the whole state. That's great. All right. With that being said, are you ready for rapid fire? Hundred percent. Let's do it. I got I got a mix of questions here for you, so I'm gonna go jump around a bit. So, favorite pizza spot in either Staten Island or New York City? So the Staten Island answer is going to be uh, Lee's Tavern. It is it is the go-to pizza spot on Staten Island. Uh, you know, it is it is the Gino's versus Pat's in a way with, you know, Philly and Philly cheesesteaks. Here it's it's Lee's versus Danino's. I go with Lee's. Uh, and follow-up question, has David Portnoy been there for a pizza review yet? He has. He has. I don't remember the score, but he, he's been here for a couple of uh, pizza spots. I want to take a look at the pizza app and see if uh, if I find a score. Um, New York Giants, New York Jets. Uh, I am a Jets fan, and we have not won a Super Bowl in God knows how many years. I want to say it's been decades, actually. Yeah, it's been it's been a while. I have a, I have a really good friend who's a Jets fan, so if he's listening right now, he's he's suffering with you. Uh, follow up to that: New York Mets or New York Yankees? Yankees fan. All right. If you're in a rush and you're getting a, a coffee, you need a coffee. Where do you stop? Starbucks, Dunkin', or do you go somewhere local? Uh, Starbucks. All right. Uh, when you're in a happy hour, what's your go-to drink or cocktail? So I'm 27 and this is super sad, but I am a scotch drinker. No hate against scotch. That's a, that's a good pick. Uh, and when you, when I'm assuming you're vaccinated, but when, with now the pandemic finally over, where are you taking your first vacation? So I am literally leaving this week to go to St. Martin. Uh, I was supposed to go last month, but I got COVID. So 
we had to just move, move it over a month. So that's great. You know, hopefully you get to enjoy some of the tropical weather down there when you're down to St. Martin. Sounds like a great vacation. So thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I'm going to give it back to you, Peter. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners here uh, before we wrap things up uh, for them to know or, or what to be on the lookout for? Uh, yeah, if you guys want to learn more about my candidacy for uh, state chairman for the New York State Young Republicans, uh, check us out on Facebook and Twitter. The handle is literally just at NYSYR next. Uh, and yeah, feel free to reach out to me too. I don't mind. Uh, I don't mind talking to you guys and telling you more about what uh, New York's like. Well, great. Thank you so much again for your time tonight, Peter. Uh, was a blast having you on. Thank you so much for all the kind words you say about the show. We're glad to finally have you come on to the show to talk to us a little bit about all things New York and Staten Island. I'm sure Michelle could agree with me on this. It's been certainly an education tonight. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. And just yeah. as we wrap things up, I just want to remind everybody who's listening, this podcast will be coming out on Wednesday, but later tonight, we will actually be having our first social event in D.C., since our last membership meeting back in March of 2020, it's going to be at the Admiral down DuPont. It's going to start at six. Make sure you're there. We, I know I'm going to be there. Michelle, I know you're going to be there as well. Look forward to seeing you. Make sure RSVP on our Facebook page and check out our events page. And uh, we look forward to seeing you there. So with that, thank you so much and have a great night, everyone. On behalf of the D.C. Young Republican Executive Board, we thank you for listening to the District Download. Make sure to hit that subscribe button, give us a five-star review, and share this episode with your friends. The District Download is currently available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, and wherever else you may listen to podcasts. Thank you.